So why are we here? We've looked at the concept we are here because of worship, to come together and adore the love of our God and to share our love with Him. We have looked at the reality we are here together for fellowship, coming together, connecting with one another. And now this month, we're going to be looking at the reality we are here for ministry. I always like introducing you to people, many of whom are no longer with us, but people that I think you might ought to know. And one of those people uh, had a pretty big impact on my life. His name was Fred Craddock. Now, Craddock is probably not very well known among many Christians today. He does tend to be more well known by people like me, vocational ministers. He was the Bandy Distinguished Preacher, Professor of Preaching in the New Testament Emeritus at Candler School of Theology at Emory University. He was also an ordained minister of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. He was from rural Tennessee. And it is in his role as a preaching professor that he had an impact on my life. Uh, one book in particular, his book, The Homiletic Plot, in a time frame when I was just starting to look at the idea of narrative preaching, preaching through story. I read his book, and it was a wonderful insight. And then his book on preaching in general, uh, titled Preaching, uh, he looked at a completely different way of approaching the method of preaching than I had ever known. And while I didn't always agree with him, he did challenge me. Well, in an article in Leadership Journal by Daryl Bell, a story is told about Fred Craddock one time when he was ministering to people like me. He's talking to vocational ministers, and he's dealing with the implication of what it means to be committed to Christ. He was essentially asking, how should we spend our life for Jesus? How do we yield? How do we commit? How do we spend life? And he made a statement, to give my life to Christ appears glorious to pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. But then he said, we we think giving our all to the Lord Jesus is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table and saying, here's my life, Lord, I'm giving it all. But then he gave a twist. The reality for most of us is that God sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 bill for quarters. That'd be a lot of quarters. And he said, we go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor's kid's troubles instead of saying, get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. He said, usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all of those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. He said it would be easy to go out in the flash of glory. But it's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. I suspect that most of us in this room at some point or another, maybe in our very 
young Christian life, we thought, I really want to do something great for God. I want to do something great for the Lord. When the reality is sometimes our greatest need is just to do whatever he asks. Forget about greatness. Do whatever he asks without the glory, without the fame, without the spotlight. Now, we are looking at a text today, and I, I would not be surprised when Natalie read the text for children. You may not ever have read this passage, even when you're reading through the Bible, because I'm going to be honest. It's a passage, the kind of passage we tend to race through without, not, without paying much attention. After all, it's at the end of 1 Corinthians. And we've read enough of Paul. We know how his letters end. It's, hello, say hi to them. I'm sending them along. And all these little practical things that we don't think are very important. But in this small, rather obscure text, Paul painted a really beautiful picture of a group of people who were willing to say, we're going to do whatever the Lord asks. You know that spotlight thing? When I read about them, I kind of get the impression that Stephanus, Fortunata, and Achaicus probably would have been very happy had Paul not drawn them into the spotlight. But he does. He singles them out, and I will hopefully give you insight as to why in a little bit. From his description of their hearts, I think Paul is showing us something very important. And the text is 1 Corinthians 16, 15 through 18. I will be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. I will explain why in a few minutes. But will you stand for the reading of God's Word? And I want you to really listen to it. To really hear what Paul is saying. Because I will try to unpack it in just a minute. But Paul says to this church, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit, as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. In our text, this little brief text, Paul commended the household of Stephanus to the church at Corinth. Now, the unusual thing about this, most of the time when Paul is saying, I commend this person to you, he's introducing them to this new church, this new group. But if you are familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, you will know that Paul actually says near the first of the book, I'm glad I didn't baptize. He says, oh, well, I did baptize a few in Stephanus' household. Stephanus and his household are members of the church at Corinth. And Paul is saying, I'm wanting you to take a look at these people, and I want you to give them respect. And to all who labor like them, and by that, that idea of labor means do hard work, because folks, ministering in the name of the Lord often is exactly that, hard work. And as we look at this text, what we're going to discover 
And this little text most people just blaze through. You and I, our hearts are supposed to be surrendered to faithfully carrying out the ministry of the kingdom. What Paul is saying to believers 2,000 years ago and today, you need to have hearts that are given to ministry, that are surrendered to the idea of ministry. So we're going to begin looking at ministry through the issue of the heart. Now, what are the criteria? What do we look for to understand, really understand, that we are ministering to the saints, serving the body of Christ as we should? Well, to help determine that, we're going to look at three particular distinct questions that grow out of this text. And as we seek to answer those questions, we're going to discover key evidence that says, I have a heart for ministry, or I don't. So you're warned, these questions are going to reveal some stuff about our own hearts today. So let's begin. The very first question, are we ready to minister when we see a need? Are we ready to minister when a need comes to us? When God makes us aware of something that needs to be done in the body, are we ready to say, I'll do it, Lord? Are we ready to minister when we see a need? You see, Paul talks about the, Stephan- the household of Stephanus, and Paul indicated that the family of Stephanus gave themselves to the ministry to the saints, to serving the saints. He gave themselves. Now, if any of you brought your King James versions today and read the text, you probably got a pretty big surprise. Because again, we don't always pay attention to these passages. Let me read for you the King James version of this verse. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. How do you like that? They addicted themselves. Now, I am fully aware that the word addicted has a different connotation today than it did when the King James translators chose it for the Greek words here. You may not know that the word addicted did not have the totally negative connotation that it does today until the very late part of the 19th century, the 1800s, into the early part of the 19th. Uh, 1900s, the 20th century. That's because all of a sudden there was a flush, an advent of so many different kinds of medications that proved highly addictive. So King James says they were addicted, and what a glorious addiction it was to do the service of the saints. But the word King James says addicted, the ESV says gave themselves or given themselves. What does it mean? Well, the Luanida Greek New lexicon, a dictionary, isn't just looking for a straight, one definition fits everything. It takes a look at the way it's being used in a particular text and what it can, what the sense of the word it was. And so what it is, the, the sense of this word is that it means to do something with devotion. And a devotion that implies 
systematic and regular activity. You don't just have this, all of a sudden, I really ought to help do one thing and then go about your life the rest of your life. You are giving yourself to something. Giving your heart, your life, your meaning, your reason for existence, everything that you are. And in this case, they gave themselves, dedicated themselves to serving their brothers and sisters at Corinth. Berlin Vubridge points out, when you look at these people, there's an important thing. They gave themselves. What does that mean? They weren't waiting to be ordained. They weren't picked out by Paul. They weren't picked out by the church. They became leaders because they saw a task that needed to be done. They used their gifts and calling of God. And so very organically, they rose to this place where Paul said, you need to respect them. You need to follow their direction." Here were a group of people who saw a need from the very outset of their lives as Christians. They were open to reaching out to brothers and sisters, whatever the need might be. Their hearts were to serve God's people. And this is the important part, I think, about that. They gave themselves. They volunteered to do so. They volunteered to serve each other And in doing so, bless the whole church. So why did Paul pull them out? Why did he say, oh, by the way, remember these guys? Why does he do it? Is he trying to shame Corinth? I don't think so at all. But if you know anything about 1 and 2 Corinthians, you know, and this isn't theological PhD talk, this was a messed up church. Both letters are filled with Paul saying, you've got it wrong. You're divided about everything. You need to get right with God. You need to change your hearts. And you know, after hearing everything that's wrong, all of a sudden Paul pulls up a household and says, but they're getting it right. Why would he do that? Because, folks, we need good examples to follow. And I don't think Paul was just saying, they're doing a great job, period. I think by implication he's saying, you listen to them, you respect them, and and how about you become like them? This is the way Christians ought to be when needs arise. Let's do it. Now, often when needs arise and we go to God in prayer, we pray a very simple prayer. We hear about a need and we pray, God Almighty, send someone to meet this need. Well, forgive me, but the prayer to send someone can sometimes be an act of avoidance. Now, I'm not saying it's ever, it's, it's completely wrong. You should never, ever pray, Lord, send someone. God may have brought up a need in your heart, a burden in your heart that is so huge, you cannot personally meet it. And he may be bringing it up so you become a prayer warrior that God masses together the folks who can. The hunger in our world. The fact that on any given day, 40,000 people will die of hunger or hunger-related diseases. 
That's more than we can do on our own. Now, he may lead us to smaller groups to deal with. But sometimes that is the right prayer. But folks, let's face it. Let's be real. How often is a prayer, Lord, send someone, actually a prayer where we mean, Lord, send somebody else. Send somebody else. And before, I'm not trying to heap guilt upon you. If you know your Bible well, you will need some of the greatest men and women of God in, in all of the Word of God essentially prayed the same prayer. Boy, Moses came up with some really good excuses not to go to Egypt, didn't he? And he finally says, well, I can't even speak. How about Gideon? Can you imagine what Gideon must have thought when the angel of the Lord said, Gideon, mighty man of valor, as Gideon is hiding in a wine press because he's terrified. You surely have got to mean somebody else. But the interesting thing is you read about those heroes of faith, what happens? Well, in Moses' case, okay, you can't speak. I'll send Aaron with you. By the way, Jill Briscoe, Stuart Briscoe, one of my favorite preachers to listen to of all times, wrote a book entitled, Here Am I, Send Aaron. <laughs> Unfortunately, they, they, when they revised the book, they changed the title, and I missed the title. Now, Here Am I, Send Somebody Else. I just really like Here Am I, Send Aaron. The whole book is looking at the five books of Moses and how God used him. God sent Aaron. But who did all the talking in Egypt? Moses. Moses became the man he was wanting God to send besides himself. Gideon becomes a mighty man of valor and a tremendous judge in the household of faith. So you're not alone. A lot of people have had this response. But if we yield to the temptation of avoidance. If we fail to hear God saying, I want you to go, we lose an opportunity that God is bringing our way to touch this world, to make a difference. Avoiding our ministry and our service to the Lord is a lot like being dressed up for the big game of life and spending your whole life on the benches. Not because you don't have what's needed to play the game. Not because the coach doesn't want to send you. You just don't want to go. No, I was called to be a beach warm, bench warmer. Well, not in the kingdom of God. We're not allowed by God to be pew warmers. And if that's what we think, all we do is come to church and get fed each week, go back and come back and back. I'm not discouraging you from being in church. Clearly not. But God has so much more for you than that. So instead of asking God, Lord, send somebody, how about we ask something else? We should instead ask God, are you wanting to send me? 
God, have you brought this to my attention because I have the gifts and callings that can do something about this. I want you to open yourself up to the possibility when a need becomes at the forefront of your life that God maybe wants you to be the one to tell your next door neighbor that Jesus loves them. Perhaps God wants you, that big issue of hunger, God wants you to join the team that goes to the local soup kitchen and gives out food to some people who are not always grateful and not always clean. Maybe God wants you to be the one who gives a glass of cold water to a shaky old man or to weep with the brokenhearted or to listen to a confused brother or sister as they have begun to stray away from their faith and, and help them see how do they come back after they fail. We need to follow the path of Stephanus and his household. A need comes, a need we know in our hearts we can do something about. We need to jump into the ministry. We need to use the gifts and callings that God has placed in our life to touch other people, often within the household of faith and sometimes outside the household of faith. Well, that comes is a pretty direct question that you can see immediately. My second question you may not see as easily. Does our presence bring gladness? Paul indicates when we see ministry needs, we need to minister. And then all of a sudden, bringing up these people again, these men, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, Paul says something about their ministry. And what he said, Paul said he found joy when these servants came to him. He found joy. He's over in Ephesus in Asia Minor doing the work God wants him to do there. He's getting rumblings about Corinth. And now these people show up and bring him joy. You see, what did they bring him? They brought him a companionship he was missing. For all the, their craziness and mixed up nature, Paul loved the church of Corinth. And he missed them. Now, I've chosen the ESV today because some translations seem to suggest that Paul is taking a not-so-subtle dig at the Corinthian church as a whole. Listen to the King James. He says, I'm glad for their coming. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. That sounds pretty bad for the church of Corinth. Well, how about the NIV, the text I most often read from? They have supplied what was lacking from you. And then the New American Standard says they have supplied what was lacking on your part. And it seems they are suggesting, and by the way, these can't be legitimate translations, but I think it's missing the point of what Paul is saying. I don't think Paul is saying, you messed up, but these guys came and helped when you didn't. Listen. Again to ESV, because they have made up for your absence. Now, if you get out a map and you look at your map, you'll see that Corinth is in Greece. Asia Minor is where Ephesus is. And there's some distance there. 
I really like the New English Bible's translation of this. I t- it's a great pleasure to me because they have done what you had no chance to do. One of our earliest and one of our best Greek scholars in the Southern Baptist Convention was A.T. Robertson, uh, a great man of God. And he said there are two possible ways to translate this. These filled up my lack of you or these filled up your lack of me. Again, there's fluidity in the translation as there usually is. But notice Robertson didn't say they they filled up my lack from you or filled up your lack from me. In other words, I don't think Paul is chewing out Corinth at all. He knows the entire church can't hit the road and come visit it in Ephesus. And he understands it. I think the idea what my lack of you is what's being thought of here. Paul isn't shaming the church at Corinth. I miss you. I love you. You may have signed a letter once or a text message. Wish you were here. And you knew full of well they couldn't be. But Stephanus' household, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus could come. And the result, Paul said, they brought me an extremely rich joy when you came to me. And Leon Morris summed it up well. In their persons, they brought him a little bit of Corinth. I have different family members who periodically make their way over to Florida to go to Disney. A sister and her family, a brother and his family, cousins. And as they pass by Biloxi, you may or may not be surprised, they love me enough, they stop. And we'll have lunch together, we'll spend the day together, and every time it happens, it it just fills me with joy. I am 500, 600 miles from my family. And every once in a while, my family says, here we are. When I can't get to them, they find ways of getting to me. And that brings joy. Now, let's look at the way it sometimes plays out. People who have to be dragged into helping rarely bring real joy with them. And I'm going to confess right offhand. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because, again, I know how many should go up. But sometimes we have been guilty at one time or other in our lives of doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. You know that, don't you? We do it. Sometimes we're going in to pay for our gas at the quick shop and there's someone there, spare change, and we just don't want to take the time, so we throw a couple bills their way and go on and brush them off. We don't want to talk to them about what's going on in their life. Maybe you were watching TV late one night and you hear... Sarah McLaughlin's voice wafting over your set in a very sad, moving song. And then you see the eyes of a dog in a sheltered cage. And before you know it, you've picked up your phone and you've made a pledge. Not because all of a sudden you love dogs like you've never loved them before. You feel guilty for not loving So I'm going to give something. Maybe 
like Ananias and Sapphira, we gave to look good. Now, honestly speaking, for whatever reason we give, whether it's good motives or bad motives, when we help somebody, the people we help do benefit, don't they? And they might even say thank you. And may actually mean it, not through gritted teeth. But when we give, when our hearts are filled with the love of God, when we remember everything God has done on our behalf, how he helped us when no one else could, when we have been touched by the love of Christ, that love moves in us. Something happens differently than just giving help. Brothers and sisters in the Lord who understand the love of God have suddenly become stronger, have received joy because they know God's love for them in their moment of need showed up in the face of a brother or sister saying, I'm here to help. People who don't know the Lord very likely will never understand why we help and will be cynical as we try to explain. But the incredible thing about this, whether they acknowledge it or not, they are being touched. They are experiencing the touch of God through his children, through an act of genuine service. Whether it leads to an expression of gratitude or not. And folks, here's the kicker. I need you to hear me. I'm not trying to say we need to be rude to everybody, but I need you to hear me. When we have served out of love and we have concerned out of real concern because the love of Christ compels us, we are serving because of our love for Christ and our love for those around us, not for the demand of a gratitude. Whether they say thank you or not, it doesn't matter. Paul told the church at Ephesus, when you're working, work to please God, not men. And so when we start getting all upset, well, they didn't even say thank you. That may be a good indication that we're not getting out of the heart Christ has called us to give. So today, in light of do I bring gladness? Maybe today... We should ask our Lord, will you make me into a bringer of joy? And again, the word Paul uses for joy here is an exceedingly rich joy. Will you make me into somebody who brings gladness into this absolutely crazy, mixed up, hateful, mean world? In other words, let's ask God, move me beyond the worldly mentalities where I see people in need as inconveniences to brush aside. And said, help me to have a heart that is eager to serve. Going back to that first question. Make me into the type of person I see a need. I'm ready to say, God, here am I. Send me in whatever capacity you can. Let's ask him to allow the joy and love we feel from him move freely out of our hearts into those he leads our way. And I guarantee if they're brothers and sisters in the Lord, they experience joy. And if they're not, you've just planted a seed. God might bring them to fruition. Does my life bring joy?
because I've learned what it means to serve out of heart eager to help. And our last question. Does our willing service help others to continue their service? If I'm willing to do what God is calling me to do, how does it affect the people around us? Well, look at Paul again. We'll use his own example. Because he's talking about Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus as they have arrived in Corinth. And Paul said, these friends brought a refreshing to his heart. And he's not using a figure of speech here. He's not just saying, oh, they made me feel bubbly good. They refreshed me. And again, Louis Nida points out that this quite, this is a literal word of refreshment and it literally means to cause someone to become physically refreshed. Paul got a chance to breathe for a moment. And again, if you know anything about Paul, his life was vexing, wasn't it? Emotionally, spiritually, physically, just think of everything he went through. Folks, because of the gospel of Christ, he was beaten. He was stoned, left for dead. Run out of town more times than you could count almost. Can you imagine, those of you who are on the search committee, if that's the way my resume had read? And then think about Barnabas. The one man who stood up for Paul when others wouldn't. And at the start of the second missionary journey, Paul and beloved Barnabas had a fight. Because Barnabas kept wanting to do what he always did. Stand up for somebody. And that had to have crushed Paul. And think about all those churches he helped start and all the battles they went through. Don't you know that he hurt for them? Because sometimes their own foolishness led them astray. He was in pain. And it's easy to see how he was tired, but brothers come along and start ministering to him. Doing what Paul tells the church of Galatia to do. Bear one another's burdens. And what just happens? Paul says, I was refreshed. I believe at that moment in time, the ministry of Stephanatus, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus was exactly what Paul needed. Strength from the body of Christ, enabling him to find the strength God had for him. And just to make his point, did you notice that Paul told the church, and you know they refreshed you too? You know what I'm saying about these men. You know what they are. And again, I think he's saying, learn from them. You see what happens often in life when the connections of devoted ministry break down, the whole body suffers. It's just a reality. The whole body can suffer. Ron Bryce in The Fingerprint of God Talked about a moment in time he was assisting in a heart surgery. Not something that many of us could say here today. And the surgeon asked him to gently rotate the heart so he could reach it from a different angle. And as he reaches into the man's chest and rotates the heart, he gets this question. How does it feel to be holding a man's beating heart? And Bryce said, even though we 
moved it a little bit, the heart kept functioning the way it should. And then he goes into a little bit of science. He says the cells in your heart beat rhythmically and contract in unity. They act together for a heartbeat. But then he said if you were to somehow remove those cells from one another into test tubes, they would still instinctively be beating, but no longer in rhythm, no longer connected. If you were to bring them back together, the moment those cells would touch, they're in synchronization again. Beating. And he says the reality is no one heart cell can cause blood to flow from the heart, no matter how hard it tries. It has to be connected to others, And they have to be beating together. And then he brings it quite home to us when he says this is consistent in all living bodies. The only way a body can survive is through its many members coming together, working together. All living bodies have communication among the members. And folks, this is one of the reasons the image of the body of Christ is my favorite image for the church. Each of us have to be working together. Now we know, a few weeks ago I preached from Second Timothy, and how Paul told Timothy that he had been deserted, he had been left to dry in Rome, and he was so broken about that, and then Onesiphorus shows up and ministers to Paul. So we know that Paul would experience this same need later in his ministry. And when we find ourselves without support, when we are trying to do what God wants us to do all on our own, it gets very discouraging. It becomes increasingly harder to do the tasks that God has for us. Now, honestly speaking, sometimes we are without support because our pride is too big to admit we need help. But sometimes, for reasons we may not understand, connections are broken down. But when the body functions together, when you are doing what God has called you to do, I'm doing what God has called me to do, when you are using your gifts and calling of God, the body comes together, strength can be found, and this is where that image is so important. Each one of us doing our part. When we pay attention to the body and minister actively as part of the body, and when I'm saying that, folks, I'm talking about every single one of you in this room who is a child of God are part of the body of Christ, and you have a purpose and a reason for existence in the body. And it is not to warm the bench. It is not to warm the pew. We need to find what we need to be doing and then doing it so that we in turn can help others. So maybe today what we should do, we should ask God, will you use me to help others meet their need to minister? In other words, God, will you turn me into the body part that's actually functioning? You have given me a call. You have given me a ministry. And the only way possible that this body of Christ, this church, can ever become 
the church we are meant to be, even in the face of COVID, even in the face of population decline within our own congregation, and all of the things we could raise up and say, we'll never be, if we make a commitment to come together, do what God has called us to do, we can move toward being the church Bay Vista was intended to be. Working together helps each one of us to fulfill our callings. Last week, thanks to Charmel, I got to go down memory lane. We'll know, they'll know we're Christians by our love. And, and in the second line, second verse, we hear, we will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. The third line, we will walk with each other. We will walk side by side. Folks, what I'm telling you today, we need to ask God, Lord, help me to be the kind of member who's willing to walk hand in hand, side by side with the body of Christ. Help me do my part so others can do their part. Let me be a functioning member of this church and not just sit back and watch as others do the ministry. We have heard today a call. God has, as directly as I know how, told us that you and I, we need to have hearts given to ministry. Hearts giving to serving in the body. The question we now have for ourselves, do I have such a heart? I talked about Elton Drupal earlier. And this great man of God said it as succinctly as I've ever heard. If you are a Christian, then you are a minister. A non-ministering Christian is a contradiction in terms. If you are not doing what God is calling you to do, if you are not serving as He calls you to serve, you are out of the will of your Father. And there's no gentle way to say that. And we need to ask God, show me. Help me see, how do I have a part in this? What role can I play? And they had a lot of different roles from Sunday school teacher to little children's leaders to worker with youth to workers with senior adults to being hospitable people who show love and compassion. A lot of different ways we can minister, but we are all called to minister. So please remember today, we are called to minister when we see a need. Pure and simple. You and I are called to do something about the needs in this world, about what the body of Christ needs. We are called to do something, whatever capacity. We need to remember that we should seek to minister, bringing gladness into this world. I didn't bring it up earlier, but folks, don't you? Aren't there people in your life that just make you grow older every time you're around them? I call them spiritual vampires. We need to be givers of joy. We need to make people know that God is real and true and He loves you. And please don't ever forget that, my brother. Please never lose sight of that. As we minister, we bring joy. We need to remember that when we minister in the role that God has called us to do, we're helping others in their call. 
So I believe today that God has issued a heart, a call, that we have hearts given to ministry. And I'm not telling you what your call is. You need to struggle that with God. Some of you, I could give you some good hints, I believe. Find what God wants you to do. Our hearts, yours and mine, need to be given to the ministry of the saints. And so I'm asking you today, will you ask God to give you such a heart? Right now. Will you ask the Lord to so change you that all of us, for maybe the first time in your life, you really have seen and got it, that this is what the body of Christ is called to be. Have you noticed how that so neatly dovetails into what we just spent a month talking about? Fellowship? Being part of each other? Well, one of the ways that happens is we minister. Will you ask God to help me to commit to whatever role you have for me in the body? Again, no show of hands. 